Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 189. My dad was the first one to say, you know, do something you love and find a passion and it'll never be work. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Bruce Canapa. Bruce, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Do I need a Honda device? <laughs> I hope I don't hit any walls here, so I'll do my best. But that's the first time anybody's asked me that. That's a very good question. <laughs> I'll be real gentle, okay? Okay. <laughs> Bruce Canapa is the founder and CEO of Canapa Motor Company and Concept Transporters in Scotts Valley, California. Bruce is passionately involved with all aspects of his companies, from vehicle design and development to historic and collector car sales, restoration, and racing. His company is renowned for expertly combining sophisticated design and superb craftsmanship in new vehicles and Pebble Beach level restorations on collector cars, vintage race cars, hot rods, luxury cars, motorcycles, SUVs, you name it. The automotive projects that come out of his companies are recognized as the best of the best. And Bruce has raced in all sorts of cars all over the world. And today he runs in most of the premier historic events around the world. Bruce, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a little moment, share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your incredible passion for automobiles? Well, to start with, I was pretty fortunate. My uh, my father was in World War II, and when he came back from the war, he was in the uh, Army Air Corps and flew B-29s and B-17s. And when he came home from all that, he needed a job, and... Uh, his sister's husband was a car dealer. He had Packard and other franchises back then in the 40s. And uh, and so my dad went to work for him. And uh, he went to work sweeping the floors, so to speak, when he got, got home from, uh, from the war and mm-hmm. worked his way up. And by the 60s, he owned a number of car dealerships. So when I was born, I was born into the car business. By the time I was four, it was pretty obvious to everybody around me probably not to me, but everybody around <laughs> me, that I was a nut about anything with wheels. And uh, my dad used to say I could stand up on the back seat of the car standing 
and uh, and name the cars as we were driving down the highway. And of course, that's back in the days where you didn't have seat belts and you could stand up. On oh the seat. yeah, yeah. So basically, he said I could uh, basically identify everything I saw outside the windows. Uh, you know, <laughs> cool. when I was a little kid. Yeah. And of course, by the time I was ten, I wanted to drive, and and uh, it just started in you know go karts. And by twelve, I was in cars, and and actually by about the same age, I learned how to drive a big dump truck in a on a piece of property. He he didn't figure that I'd figure out how to drive it and shift it because it had two shifts in it. Uh-huh. And he figured he figured I wouldn't even get it started moving, let alone you know a couple hours later I was driving it all over the place. So <laughs> you know that's where it started. And lucky my dad had the patience to uh to let me you know hang out at his place because really my my passion from from the time I was a kid was to you know after school go to his garage and uh be where the cars were and he really taught me well I mean he made me start by sweeping floors and yeah. from there it was how to wash a car properly and then it was how to detail a car properly then it was how, then it was how to work on a car and I worked in all the different departments from the body shop to painting to mechanical I ended up kind of getting a chance to work everywhere and and uh he always made me learn how to do it properly before I could do something else and, and that that really stuck with me for for the rest of my life. Uh well it's obviously has served you well because of the business you're in now but tell us a little bit before we get into the questions here you got heavily involved in racing, right? I did from the very first time I could drive something which was a, which was a go-kart and and we lived we lived in a kind of a medium part of Santa Cruz. I mean, I'd say that the houses were in the lower middle income area, you know, not we weren't poor. My dad worked hard and made some money, but but we lived in just an average neighborhood. But the cool thing about the neighborhood we lived in is there were alleys behind the houses and you don't see many of those anymore, but basically, you know, you drive down an alley and go into your garage. Yeah. And uh it was cool because in the neighborhood I lived in, there were like four kids that liked cars and cart and all those things. And so there was four of us that had, you know, little beginner kind of, you know, well, first we had stuff you could push, and then we had things with motors on it, you know, that were hand-built with, you know, Briggs and Stratton motors or whatever. Oh, yeah. And we were, we were driving up and down the alleys. And then, of course, that, you know, progressed to where, oh, okay, now, you know, I, my dad said he'd share equally what I earned to buy my first real go-kart. So... You know, I mean, I forget, I think I was 11 and I had earned enough money to pay for half of a bug go-kart with a McCullough engine on it. So, <laughs> and it was about the same time that all the other kids had earned enough to get their bug go-kart with a McCullough engine. So we went from riding bicycles like crazy kids up and down the alley to pushing things to having go-karts with motors on them. And, and of course, then it got serious. Now we're going down the alley at 40, 50 miles an hour, you Uh-oh. know, through these yeah. alleys. And, and these were not alleys that were nicely paved. These these were alleys that had had humps in the middle of them and, and weeds growing through the humps and chuckles on either side. So sure. you learned good driving skills right off if you were going to get from one end to the other. Yeah. From the time I was a little kid, I was, honestly, I was just a maniac. I was just not afraid of anything. I mean, there were plenty of times in my life I should have been more afraid, but <laughs> but because uh, it came back to bite me. But I was never afraid. I mean, we went from racing up and down the alley to where we'd get to an intersection, then we'd go across the intersection slowly, and then race to the next alley, and then cross over, and then race back down another alley. So in in four square blocks, we turned it into the largest oval track for go karts in the world. You oh know? yeah. And of course, I was the first 
guy to be brave enough to not slow down at the end of the alley to cross the other alley because I figured if I don't have to slow down, I'm going to beat all these guys big time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I got away with that for a long time, and then one day some poor old lady in her rambler collected me. You know? yeah, yeah, that was the end of that. And, yeah, broken arm or something and bent my go-kart. And that was the end of that. Oh, my so, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I lived that fearless life for a long time. I was never afraid of much of anything, and it progressed to every kind of car I ever drove, which was which served me well because I, I I was born, you know, with some pretty good genes for car control and, and I don't know where I got that. I don't know if it was because my dad was a pilot or what it was, but I never had a sense of not being you know, feeling like I could control what I was driving and uh that's gone a long ways for me in terms of jumping in things that I've never raced and never practiced in and never was taught how to drive and just driving it and uh yeah. Uh, so it's 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 been fun. It's been a fun ride. It sounds like it sounds fantastic. And I've seen you drive on the track, and I think you you still have that fearless notion in you. You're you're a pleasure to watch run around the track. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. And this is something that perhaps has been instrumental in forming your life, your career, your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive. So Bruce, take the wheel. It's interesting because it. It's probably, in the beginning, not what my dad wanted to happen, but my dad was the first one to say, you know, do something you love. Find a passion, and it'll never be work. And my dad was a very hardworking person. He taught me my work ethic. I mean, I'm, I, I get up at 6 in the morning, and I never go to bed before midnight, and, and I said, we got plenty of time to sleep later on. So, <laughs> um, so for me, it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the best of every minute and every second. And, and, and he taught me that, and he, and he basically... You know, with that, he just said, look, find something you love. Now, he was hoping I'd be an architect or I'd be something else because he was in the car business and thinking that's a hard way to make a living. That's a hard way to, to uh, you know, to have, you know, a, a life other than the cars. But that was my passion, and right. it was the thing I loved. So for me, it's it's been – I tell people this has never been work for me. Even today, you know, I work till you know, 8, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, and then I go home and do a couple more hours of work typically – paperwork and read books and look at car stuff and so i said it has never been work for me it's always been uh, you know a love for me and a passion and 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 so you know i'm lucky i get to do what i like every single day oh yeah definitely and sounds like uh your father was a lot like a guest i had on the other day don garlett yep big daddy don yep. garlett and his father said the same thing he said you know work real hard you have plenty of time to sleep after you're dead I think that's pretty funny. That's awesome. I love that. I know you talked about being automotive, uh, enthused with automotive vehicles when you were little, but is there one moment in time, that pivotal moment that instigated your passion for cars? Can you think back to that time when you went, you know what, I am a car guy, true and true? I think it was when I first learned how to drive. I was pretty young. I was probably 11 when I first learned how to drive a car. Wow. And, you know, I kind of remember it was like, nobody could believe that I could drive a car. And, uh, <laughs> um, and it just, to me, was totally natural to know how to do this. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. And I'm not sure I knew what I was doing, but everybody else thought so. So, <laughs> What kind of car was the first car you drove? Can you remember? You know, I don't even remember because my dad was a, a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer, and, he, and he, had, he had other things. He had English Fords, and he had... He had, um, well, at the point he had a BMW franchise up, and I don't remember, but it was just some, it was just some old, you know, car that you and I wouldn't look twice at. You yeah. know, I mean, the first car I owned was when I was 13 years old. I bought a car. I bought a Model A Ford. 
Oh, wow. A 1929 Model A Ford, and, and it belonged to a local plumbing guy, old Italian plumbing guy that my family knew, and it didn't have a trunk lid. It had a box in the back, um, <laughs> and that's where he put all the plumbing stuff, and that was his that was his go-to-your-house-fix-your-plumbing car, you oh, know? Oh, my and, gosh. And he had it since new, and, and I got it, you know, and, and when I was like 13 years old, and it, I remember it was $400, and so that was my first car, and, and, I, and my parents by then... By the '60s, they lived in a in a residential area that was was private, and so I could drive everywhere. They were private roads, miles and miles of them. Nice. And it wasn't that fancy an area, but the roads happened to be private because it was at a golf course deal, and yeah. so I drove all over the place <laughs> as much <laughs> as anybody would let me. So. Very cool. Well, Bruce, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced in your career. I mean, you've been involved in some careers that are fraught with challenges from racing to restoring cars, being an entrepreneur, running your own business. But the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame that particular situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I think there's a ton of those things. Yeah, yeah, there always are. You know, from a business standpoint, I was originally in the car business. And of course, I was in the car business at a time when it was extremely difficult to make any money. I mean, you worked to pay bills and eat. That's all you did. And I had a number of franchises at one point, And then eventually, you know, just kept, I just kept, you know, when people said, you know, you ought to give this up, you ought to not do it. And da da da. we, you know, you just, you know, I mean, maybe you didn't know any better, but you just kept working at it and figured, look, if I work hard enough, we'll we'll find success. Well, you know, over time, that success came with, with just changing things. I, I sold the dealer franchises off and, and, and really started what the company is today. I said, look, I'm just going to do my own car business. I'm going to do it my way, and I'm not going to be relying on car manufacturers to have great products every year. And, and um and that's what I did. And so, you know, I learned I learned plenty from the failures of running car dealerships and, and you know, not making much money and, and yet surviving. And you learn a lot from that. But at the same time, it helped me get direction and vision on what what I thought you could do. And I just decided to follow my heart and just do what I thought. And, and when I started what this business is today, when you look at Canapa today as a business, when I started this business, most everybody said, you know, you're, you're kind of crazy. That, that's not going to work, you know. You're going to do this without a car franchise. You're, you're going to sell cars. You're going to fix up cars. You know, I mean, that's, that's a hard way to make a living. And I said, well, for me, you know, I, I, I had vision. I, I, I felt I had vision. And I felt I had vision that other people of things other people didn't see. So I've really started my business based on that. I said, you know, I'm just going to do what I think the future is in this business and what's next. Well, as you know, Mark, I mean, there was a time I did SUVs. You I know, remember and that, yeah. I looked at the 89 GM Suburban vehicle at the time, and, and I fixed one of those up, and then they came out with the new one in 90, the next model, and that thing was more car-like than ever. And I just had this vision that said, you know, that is going to be a very practical vehicle for people, for families, for for the moms hauling the kids, for everything. I mean, that's going to be the most practical vehicle you have. Well, you know, all the guys that are like me that are car guys, they're going to want that thing with better brakes, and they're going to want it with more power and better suspension and better handling, and they're going to want it without all the junk on it, clean it up, and good-looking wheels and really first-class leather, and, a, you know, we'll put bucket seats in the middle, which they never had, and that's what we did, and we built 2,000 of those. Oh, my and gosh. Th- that period of time building those really carried us 
into the next phase. And I, and I tell guys, you know, you really, when you look back on your life, a lot of times you, you realize you've reinvented yourself a number of times to stay, you know, successful and competitive and all the things you have to do to survive in business. And, and that was just a phase of our business. And while that was going on, I was playing with collector cars and I was playing with, you know, customized things. I mean, I was taking new Mercedes and changing them and I was taking Porsches and doing this and, and I was, you know, playing with hot rods and I was restoring some cars. And for a lot of years that I did the SUVs, I didn't have the facilities to do these other things because they took up too much space and time basically. And, and so I would do one at a time here and there and, and then the SUV thing started to change. I mean, we got to a point where General Motors wasn't the only SUV. All of a sudden, Mercedes and Nissan and Toyota and and every manufacturer was going to build SUVs. And, of course, today every manufacturer yeah. builds SUVs. Yeah, and, even Porsche. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell people, don't be surprised when you see a Ferrari SUV. And, yeah. and you know, we're going to see a Bentley one. We know that already. So I know. Don't be surprised because... You know, like for Porsche today, their biggest product line is four doors. Period. It's the Macan and the and the Cayenne and the Pan America. That is the bulk of their product line. And I said, it's vehicles with four doors. I said, it it things have to be practical in a sense. I mean, yeah. You know, in our lives, you need practicality. Well, you want cool practicality, not boring practicality. So <laughs> Fantastic. That's what we did with the SUVs. And then when all the manufacturers started building them, I said, well, I'm going to get more focused on what I, the other, my real love, which is, you know, restoring older cars and fixing them up and driving them and, and all these kinds of things. And we were doing that a little bit at a time. And, and then I said, you know, I said, this business is ready to expand to another level. And, of course, you've been to our facility. Yes. I, I took a huge risk in everybody's eyes when I bought this building. Now, I bought the building for a bargain because Seagate was moving, and they, they basically had a fire sale on buildings. But still, you know, when you sit there and say, I'm going to buy a 70,000-foot building to have a car business with yeah. my name on the wall, everybody looks at you like you need to be committed, you know. <laughs> so you know, my family all thought I needed to be committed. You know, my dad... <laughs> Here's my dad been a car dealer all his life, and he goes, what are you doing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I go, yeah. I go, this is going to work. And, of course, it's funny because my idea of, of it working was, you know, I bet we can sell, you know, 30 or 40 of these cars a year, these, these truly valuable collector cars. I bet we can probably have 20 employees and restore, you know, a couple a year and, and probably have, you know, 10 or 15 projects in the shop. And, and I said, you know, I said, play with the race cars, the vintage cars and all this stuff. And, of course, here we are today and we have 75 employees. And, yes. And we sell over 100 collector cars and there's 58 projects in the shop currently and never less than 50 going on, including 14 or 15 Pebble Beach quality ground-up restorations. So it's grown beyond anything I could have imagined. Let's put it that way. It's fantastic. And I think you answered my next question about an aha moment because what I was going to ask you is, was there one particular aha moment where you really went, you know what, I think this concept will work? Was there a moment in time you can think of that you just went, you know what, I know everybody says I'm nuts, but I I, I think I can make this work? It was um, an hour before I bought the building. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. It really was one of those things where I just said, "Look, I, I have, I, I have this dream, and I have this vision that if I do this, and I can buy the right building, and have a real showroom and a real shop, and it'll be much more efficient than working out of four little buildings which we had and moving stuff all over." And you know, because for me, a lot of it was organization, and you know, in, in a business, you have to be organized you have to be efficient you know all those things and and th- and having the right building was going to give me that opportunity and and this building was 
really a you know a godsend in terms of here's a building that allows you to do all the things you could ever imagine and right. and what's funny is we're out of room now i mean we <laughs> i thought i would use half of it and have to rent half and yeah and we use every square inch of it now. So. Well, I'll, I'll tell our listeners, if you're ever in Scotts Valley, go by there and check it out. It is an absolute phenomenal facility. And I'm known as kind of a neat freak guy. And I know you are too, Bruce. And you go oh, yeah. in there and you go, this is like a surgical operating room. It's, it's absolutely incredible. You've done such a magnificent job. How about proudest moments? Is, is there one, I know you've had so many in your life and career, but is there one that stands out in your mind as the most proudest moment? Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'd say it had, had to be every time my dad walked in with all his old fogey buddies when he was alive, and just he'd walk them all through the whole place. He was just always amazed. He just, you know, he was so proud of everything that was done here, yeah. and uh, that he would just bring people every couple of weeks, all his old friends from the harbor and, and all his buddies from Rotary, and he'd take them on tours, and, and <laughs> I couldn't have been prouder. Yeah, I, I'll bet. Oh, so such special times. Now, I know you've had an amazing number of incredible cars, so this next question could be a little challenging, but let's put it this way. Could you tell us what your first really special car was and share one memory you had with that vehicle? Well... <laughs> The first special car for me, and it wasn't my car, it was my in my dad's used car inventory. My dad took in a 68 Porsche 911L, which at that time was the worst of the Porsches probably. Yeah, the L, yeah. He took this car in trade on a, on a Lincoln from a doctor in Monterey, and I was working for him in the used car lot, so at night when that car came in, I snuck off in that car to go drive it. And, uh, <laughs> And oh my God, I'd been driving, you know, comets and cyclones and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and American Ford Iron, you know, and it was like, what is this? This thing goes around corners and it stops and it's fast, and so that was my first moment of like, uh, you know, it was like I'd found something from a different world, you know, sure. when I got in that car. Yeah, I'll bet. So that was it, and then and then really after that, you know, I you know when I look back at things that I never forget, the first time I drove a sprint car. I will never forget. It was, I mean, I jumped in one with no practice, no hot laps, um, managed to get in the trophy dash, um, managed to finish way up in the main event the first night, and got to drive something that was, to me, one of the most fun. I mean, yeah, they were risky, but they were the most fun of any race car I ever drove. Because those cars, you had to drive them. I mean, you... You had to work the wheel, and you had to be you. You really had to have a, a coordination between your brain and the steering wheel and the throttle, because th- those are the you used your right foot for more than fifty percent of the driving in that car. And the steering wheel, I I used to kid guys that steering wheel kind of gets to be just something to hang on to if you flip over. <laughs> I'll bet but that was a moment I'll never forget. I I had a guy helping me to tell me what to do, and his name was Gary Patterson, and he was one of the greatest sprint car drivers of all time. Oh, I remember and the name, yeah. He, he was known as the preacher. He drove one of Bill Smith's cars. I ended up driving one of one of Speedy Bill's cars. And so the first time I showed up, the car was late, and, and you know I didn't get to do the hot laps. And, and he came over and asked the guy working on the car what was the stagger, and he had him change out of bin, where's the weight. And the car was, you know, the car was dialed in. It was close. Uh-huh. And he had him change two or three little things. And then he said to me, he said, okay, look, he says, I'm going to stand down and turn one. And this was at a fast, dangerous racetrack. This was at Calistoga. 
it was a really big half mile, long straightaway, short corners, pretty unforgiving. If you made a mistake, you'd end up in the trees. And, oh, gosh. And, and they had a fair amount of injuries and fatalities at Calistoga over the years. It was it was not the safest place, but, boy, was it exciting. And uh, and, it, and here's this big half mile, more, you know, more than a half mile that you could go around in 19 seconds without a wing. So it, it was extremely quick. So Gary says, look, just do what I tell you. Just listen and do what I tell you. So he says, you, and he told me how to come down to straightaway and where to be. And he says, I want you to turn. He says, treat it like a diamond and turn into one. He says, and he told me, he says, I'm going to stand in one right down in the bottom of that edge of the berm, right on the, in the lowest part of the track right there. And he says, I want you to drive down into that point. Like you're going to run over my toes with the left front wheel. Oh, and he says, he says, I'm going to hold both hands up in the air. And he honestly did this. I'm going to hold both hands up in the air. And when I drop my arms, he said, roll out of the throttle and roll back in. And he said, and just go duplicate that on the other end. And oh he said, gosh. you'll be fine. You'll make the show. <laughs> and, and this is back when sprint car racing, you'd get 150 cars from trying to make a main event, you know. So oh, you, yeah. you, you had to qualify just to get in the C-main, you know. You had to hustle. So Man. So I go out and they push me off on the back and, and I come down the front straightaway and of course this is wet dirt so you know I'm I'm pretty much where he told me to be about by the start finish guy and I head down into the corner and you know and you're you're carrying you know 100 and I don't know what that track you're probably carrying 120 miles an hour speed or 100 miles an hour speed for sure going into the corner you know and Jeez. and so I come down there and he's got his hand I see him he's got his hands up and man I am I am like right where he wants me to be and part of that's just a little luck with the ruts and the wet dirt and stuff and. I end up down there and put the car right where he tells me to put the wheel. I mean, I'm literally right at his toes, and and uh, he doesn't drop his arms. What? What? And and I lift out of the throttle, and I back in it immediately because now I'm so late and so deep yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that I not only have to get out quickly, but, man, i got to get right back in it almost like I didn't lift at all and rotate that thing and go down the back. And, and of course, by the time you get to the back end, you can imagine how much momentum you're carrying, right? So, oh, my gosh. So I better do it right again. So I come around, and I roll into the pits after my qualifying lap, and I'm holding the steering wheel, and I'm, I think I'm still shaking, honestly. <laughs> and I turn the fuel thing off and and patterson walks over and he puts both arms on the side of the roll cage and he and i'm sitting there in the car i mean i'm i'm frozen in the car i'm not moving yet you know sure and i've got my visor open and he looks at me and he goes uh and, and i won't say the word exact words he said <laughs> but he basically says he says you don't need to f and lift here <laughs> Jeez! oh my gosh and i said so that, that was a hell of a lesson. That could have been ugly, that lesson. Oh, yeah, it could have been huge, <laughs> it yeah. It turned out just fine. But, but, uh, yeah, that's crazy. But, you know, it, it gave you a trust level that you would have taken a long time to get any other way, I'm sure. Yeah, so. what a teacher. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, this next question probably is could be an impossibility to answer, but it has to do with seller's remorse. And you've owned so many cars, sold so many cars. <laughs> but is there one, if you could just think of one, I know it's hard, that you really wish you could have back and just keep. The problem is you can't say one. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I bought I bought a 911R for four thousand dollars from from Dick Smothers in 19, when I was in college, and the, of course I said I had a 911R in college, and I drove it like it was an everyday car, and everybody thought it was terrible because it had no insulation and it was yeah. not, hardly a street car. I mean, it was hard to get a date in that car. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but I didn't care. I said, yeah. look, this is what this is what we're going out in, and then, right. of course, hard to get a date that would want to ride with me anyway half the time. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so that car I missed and and you know looked everywhere and and 
And, you know, it's in an, uh, the other car, which I got reminded of a couple of years ago. In, in high school, right, right at the end of my high school as a senior, and, or it might have been right out of high school, I had a 36 Ford three-window coupe, all black, chop top, Halibrand wheels. And it had a worn-out, super-modified motor in it that I got from somebody in a four-speed. And I was just terrorizing everybody, drag racing that thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I love that car. And, and it disappeared. And, and two years ago, I think it was two years ago, I get a call from a guy in Texas. He had found a for-sale sign in the bottom of the door. Remember the old plastic red and white for-sale sign yeah. you could buy? Oh, right? yeah. He found one of those and with a marking pin. It, it had my first name. It didn't have my whole name. It had my phone number. But the area code was different then, and this guy, with that sign, tracked me down and said, was this your car? Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> and awesome. Said, would, and it had been sitting in Texas in some garage forever, and it was still in the same condition. Wow. And you wouldn't build it much different today, you know, other than the engine. You'd build a good motor instead of a worn-out one. But, yeah. you know, it was a 12-second chop top, sat on the ground, 36-3 window. So that that's a car I said if I was going to build – Another fat hot rod. It would be just like my old car, probably. Oh wow! Um, Came full circle. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys are always doing so many great projects, but is there one you're working on right now that has you the most fired up and excited? You know, right now we have so many projects. Yeah. Well, there is one that I'm back on that I started before. I'm back on my VW bus for me. Mm-hmm. You're right. There's too many projects. I mean, I'm I'm fired up. We we just finished a 300 SL Roadster. And we upgraded the engine performance in it, so it looks stock, but it's now, you know, 60, 70 more horsepower. We we put a five-speed gearbox in it, and it looks stock, um, the shifter, everything. We put a limited slip in the diff. We lowered it an inch. I mean, here's this 300 SL that you walk up, and it looks stock, and you go, what's different about that car? Yeah. You know, it just, it's real subtle things on it. I mean, we fitted the bumpers tighter to the body and cleaner, and... It's like you really have to study it before you can figure out the first thing that's different, let alone 25 things that are different. So that's a really cool project for a customer. We just finished a 356 Porsche, a 911 engine, but a four-cylinder 911 engine. And and we bought the the case and the crank from a guy that developed all that and engineered it. And then then we uh, had Ed Pink build the engine. And, you know, it's a 210-horsepower four-cylinder engine with 190 foot-pounds of torque. And then and we put 911 suspension in the rear off an early 911, you know, like 66 911 trailing arms and the 901 five-speed. The whole back of the car underneath looks like Porsche built it. it it's like they incorpor- built the first 911 in the 356. Nice. And, uh, you know, and it's got, you know, 908 disc brakes on it. And it's a trick piece. I, I went 155 miles an hour oh. in a 356, which is, oh, wow. which felt like 250 miles an hour uh-huh. doing it. But thing was it thing was actually very stable it just doesn't have any any arrow grip when right. you do that right but that was a really neat project cuz you no matter what lid you open or where you look it looks Porsche it looks like Porsche built it that way neat. and uh even the oil tank in the right rear fender is the same oil tank that's in a Porsche so when you open the engine lid there's the filler there's the oil oh, filter wow. the tank's under the fender and the tank fits in the fender because the 911 fender is like a 356 fender in yeah. a way. So yeah. Oh, it, it awesome. all, we, we built the whole car to look as if it were done at, at Porsche. And, uh, awesome. So that, that's a cool project um, that was just finished. And, and now my big push is to get my VW bus done. And uh, I have a 60 VW bus, mm-hmm. and I've had it for 25 30 years. And, you know, those things stock are just boring. They're cute, but they're boring. I mean, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. They don't, they drive terrible. So mine, we have built full subframes 
And so from front to back, the entire bus is late model turbo Porsche. Uh-huh. Late model being late 80s turbo Porsche, so banana arms and, and you know, the disc brakes and the, and the steering rack. It's all now as if you bolted everything in from a Porsche underneath, and it's going to have a 3.3 liter turbo Porsche motor, but it's been updated to a twin turbo and a five-speed gearbox, so it's an 89-engine transmission combination, 89 suspension, and we moved all the points up in the bus and lowered the bus so you don't have to lower it and not have suspension. The bus is built down around all this. The outside of the bus will look basically stock other than when you walk up to the back of it, there'll be two round exhaust pipes coming out for twin turbos, just like a 935. Oh, my gosh. And, and two wastegate pipes off the corners like a 935. Oh, jeez. This and is awesome. we're building 17-inch diameter steel wheels that look like Volkswagen wheels, but the rears are 9.5 inches wide, and the fronts will be 7.5 inches wide or maybe <laughs> 8, but with Volkswagen hubcaps and everything. and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's going to be gray and white. It's going to be really subtle, but you know, I, I laugh. I tell everybody, I says, "I'm going to build this bus, and then I can put three riders in it at the same time." You know, that instead of one, I can put three guys in the thing and go out and take them 180 mile an hour and show them what a bus can do. Oh, geez, I, nobody can say you're not having fun over there. That's for sure. <laughs> now, here's a very introspective question for you, and I'm really curious how you're going to answer this. If Bruce Canapa was a car, what kind of car would he be, and why? Porsche 959. 959. Well, I know you have quite a history with those, but what is it about that car that you connect so well with? You know, to me, the car was always timeless. It was typical of Porsche from the first time I saw Porsche. I mean, what was typical about about the 959, as it is of all Porsches, was I felt Porsche, Porsche the man was a genius, and he was 20 years ahead of everybody else most of the time with, with what he developed in his cars. And and in a simple way, the cars were fairly light and nimble and performed well and stopped well, and he did it without a whole lot of extra stuff. And the 959 was kind of the ultimate development of the 911. I mean, it was all-wheel drive. It was twin-turbo. It was a six-speed transmission before anybody had even thought about a six-speed transmission. And it was fairly light. It was you know, just over 3,000 pounds with all this technology in it. And it was the first of a real technology car. And today they're all that way, but it was the beginning of that. And so we've taken that car over the years, and without increasing the displacement in the engine, which is 2.8 liter, without increasing the boost at all in it, we've put a better turbocharger on it for the two turbos. We've eliminated the sequential turbo and made it just a twin, which... Porsche agreed that was the thing to do. They never did the sequential again. That was they tried that and realized it was not not the best idea. Sure. We put the 959S suspension that Porsche developed. We just did a an upgraded version of that to put in the car. We went to Michelin and got better tires for the car, newer tires. You know this, that, and the next thing. Of course, we put better brake pads. We put a modern engine management system. Converted the wastegates to electronic. Did a, did new fuel injection. You know, we, all we did was stuff that's more on modern cars, but the motor's still a 2.8, the motor's still the same boost, etc. And now you have a 640 horsepower car with 580 foot-pounds of torque <laughs> that until until these latest three supercars came out that are all, really their performance is all based on hybrid technology when you look at them. Right. Until these three latest cars came out, it was the fastest car in the world. I mean, the Veyron was faster in a straight line, 
But the Veyron, you couldn't even come close to what this car would do handling-wise if you were up on the back roads of Napa or the back roads even where we live. I mean, yeah. the, the handling in the car and the drivability is the best and still the most fun. It, it's, it's more fun than the modern cars in that you drive it. I mean, I go hustling into a corner and pick up the throttle and rotate a little and pick up the gas again and pick it up and work the steering wheel. This four-wheel drive car works like the best two-wheel drive car you've ever been in on steroids and, uh, <laughs> because I can rotate through a corner with all-wheel drive. And, you know, there was a time when Rick Mears and I both one night spent a bunch of time in one of these, and we just shook our heads. We said, my God, this car's unbelievable, you know, how we can go through a 130-mile-an-hour corner, and we're, we're sitting there just working the steering wheel, feathering it, and working the throttle, and got the car. I mean, Rick says, God, I'm looking out the quarter window. I mean, we're all out of shape and yeah. driving across the corner with a big drift at 130 mile an hour in this car. And wow. So that, to me, is, you know, that, that's as good as it gets, because that requires the driver to know how to drive. Sure. And it gives you a piece of equipment that will perform uh, the way it's supposed to. I mean, the car has no shortcomings. It really has no shortcomings. And uh, uh, so if you can drive, that car's going to give you a bigger smile than anything you could be in. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Bruce, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Bruce, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you're a racer, you know what this means. The white flag is out. It's time to really put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep, I think. <laughs> you think so. Okay, hold on. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Oh, I, I think it's um, not a simple answer, but first of all, everything you do, you do your best the first time. Hmm. No shortcut. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to owning a car, if you can afford it, buy the best, do not compromise. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to all of your success? Attention to detail. (laughs) Yes, you're very good at that. (laughs) There are so many resources out there, but if there's one you could share with our listeners, perhaps a website or a blog, what would it be? Oh, man, there's so much stuff now. I mean, the Internet has changed our life. Yes, um, yes. It's really, the Internet has completely changed our life because... You know, we sit down there and say, well, God, look, we have a problem with this. And, God, you go Google something, and there's 10 guys that have run into the problem, and one of them's figured out the solution. Yeah, yeah. Well, Uh, there's your answer. I think Google is your answer because you're right. Um, I had Rod Emery on the show, and you know who Rod is. And and he was telling me that Instagram has been one of his great resources of connecting with people who've run into the same issues with fabricating cars, making parts, and so forth. So, yeah, Google is the one. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find these resources at carsyad.com slash Bruce Canapa. All right, Bruce, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. And I don't know how you're going to answer this, but I'm going to have to force you to answer it. So you can't say, I don't know. All right. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, but don't worry about the cost because I'm going to drive it over to your garage. 
and it's all free today, what would that one vehicle be? And more importantly, why would you choose that one vehicle? And does this have to be a road car? Or any it can car? be any car. You've got road cars. So it, yeah, just one collector car is really what I'm, or a race car, you know, collector race car. Yeah. You've, you've had so many vintage cars pass through your hands. But if there was just one, if you could only have one. My Porsche 935. Yeah, I kind of thought you'd say that. That, that is, <laughs> and, and tell me real quick here, I mean, that car you've had since the beginning, is that right? I've had since new. I didn't have the wherewithal to own one, and Porsche was nice enough to say, look, you know, we'll build one extra one because we think you should drive one. Wow. Um, based on what we were doing. And so they helped me find some money, and I found some money to buy it, and I've had it since new. And uh, the race car that I have, you know, as a road race car, the most seat time I have is in 935s probably. And I'm fortunate that I can drive it pretty well. And that really makes it fun because, and and I use it, I mean, I use it for vintage races, but every time there's track day events, I take that car, it has a passenger seat, and I take people for rides. And even today, when you consider this is a car that, like in Monterey, will do a minute 27 lap. Wow. What is it? How old is it? I hate to say how old it is now. You know, it's 43 years old or 44 years old or something. I say, it'll do a minute 27 lap. It'll do a minute 30 with a passenger in it. I said, it, that's pretty amazing because Porsche's most modern RSR that they took to Le Mans does a minute 25 at Monterey. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this thing is, and it doesn't do it nearly as politely as the new car. I mean, it's sideways and tank slapping and yeah. and lots of oversteer and lag and tires locked up braking because, you know, this is before ABS and all these other aids. And so you have to drive it if. When I drive it, people can't believe how much you work sitting in the driver's seat. But sure. it has brought more smiles and more shock and more fear to people than anything I've ever taken people <laughs> for in. I believe there are some videos of you driving that car at Laguna Seca, right, out there on YouTube? There are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll encourage yeah. listeners. I'll even put a link up on the Cars yeah website to one of those videos because uh, go for a ride with Bruce around Laguna yeah. Seca. You, you will have a big smile on your face. It's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack in that Porsche 935? Well, just make the best of every day. Don't don't miss a minute. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Bruce Canapa, your business, and everything that you do? Well, our website is canapa.com. It's very simple. <laughs> and, you know, our business is open six days a week. Uh, Saturdays, it's open nine to five. You do not need an appointment the museum's open all the time. Of course, we have tours and visitors all the time. We have cars and coffee during the nice part of the year, second week of every every month. But you can come anytime. The museum's always open. The showrooms are open. And we have a full catwalk where you can see all the shops. And, and usually if I'm here, you can convince me to take you in the shop anyway. I'm, I spend way too much time <laughs> showing people the shop. Yeah. But, you know... Um, you know, I, I t- we just had a guy here the other day from out of town. He came in late, and and it was a Sunday. And I happened to be here doing paperwork, and he he was on vacation from Europe. And I ended up two hours with his whole family taking him yeah, on a tour. There you go. Well, that's passion. Hey, we love our place, and we love we love to share it with everybody because it's. Uh, I know that every time I travel, if I get to see a place like this, it's uh, I never forget it. So sure, sure. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Bruce has been so nice to share with us today at carsyeah.com slash Bruce Canapa. His last name is spelled C-A-N-E-P-A. And if you have a chance to visit his facility, take it. It is phenomenal. Go to his website, check out everything he has, and 
If you want to go through a dream list of cars you'd like to own in your garage, he's always got just a gaggle of automobiles for sale and available. It's absolutely phenomenal. Bruce, thank you for being so generous today with your time. I know it's Saturday. We're both working here on a Saturday uh, for your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.